Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Judy Gammon. Judy is an award-winning author, speaker, and CEO of Executive Medicine of Texas. She spent almost 10 years on the air as she hosted a nationally syndicated Staying Young show. You can now catch her on podcast with the Stay Young America Health and Wellness podcast. Judy's also a Fox News Healthy Living contributor and writes for several publications. She lives in Texas with her husband, Walter, and together they have 10 children and five grandchildren. She's also the author of a new book called Love, Life and Lucille. So I am super excited to welcome Judy Gammon to the show. Welcome, Judy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, I'm very excited. And in the bio, in your intro, I just read out that you have 10 children. So tell me about that, because that is quite mind blowing. Yeah, a lot of people hear that. And the first thing they think is you must be crazy. And they are his, mine and ours. And I like to say some people marry men with baggage. And I married Mr. Sampsonite himself. He had seven. I had two. We had one together. And we just made it work. And being uh, both divorcees and and single parents, uh, in the fact that we both were bringing kids into a new marriage, it was quite exciting years. Now we've got our last one, who's a senior in in college and about to get him off our payroll. But I still remember those years of of the struggle when we had a lot of kids at home. We had a lot of uh, stress. We had four teenage daughters in the house at the same time. And boy, if you've ever had a teenage daughter, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, blended families are now the new norm, aren't they? I, yeah. they are. I don't think any other scenario is normal anymore. So I think yeah, that experience can be daunting, but actually you're not alone anymore, right? No, no, not at all. And you know, the thing that's interesting is when you're a blended family, when you're getting married to someone with kids, everyone comes out of the woodwork to give you advice. So I had heard it all, you know, keep separate bank accounts and you know, let him parent his kids his way and you parent your kids your way. And all of that kind of advice, we just kind of threw out the window. And we just said, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. These are going to be our kids. We're going to have house rules and the house rules are the house rules. And we're going to have blended bank accounts. And, you know, there's just not going to be any secrets. It just is what it is. And we went in all, I mean, just all in, we're going to just this is our forever marriage. So we're going to make it work. And we went into it with the attitude of, you know, neither one of us is getting out of this alive. (laughs) I think that kind of helps because if you go into a second marriage and you're thinking, well, what if it doesn't work out? Or you're always having plan B or contingencies. I really believe you're setting yourself up for failure. And we're on 22 years of a fabulous marriage, still madly in love 
And I, I just feel like we kind of found the secret sauce. Wow, maybe that is the secret then, just going all in, no secrets, as you said, having the same bank accounts and just, I suppose when you're all in, then you're both giving it 110%. So, you know, it's got the best chance to work if it's going to, right? Oh, certainly. And there's, you know, there's ground rules that we kind of set up because we both looked at our, our past marriages and said, okay, where did they fail? And I think the number one thing for people who are, uh, divorced is not to say, what did they do to me? But to, to really focus on what could I have done better? Because there's not a marriage out there, whether it's, you know, ongoing or whether it's a marriage from the past where both partners didn't add to the chaos. So really examining what could I have done better that I don't want to repeat and not you know, rinsing and repeating the same errors in, in that second marriage. And so for me, it was like, okay, you know what? I think I was a nag about certain things, things that maybe didn't really matter. I was maybe easily offended. Yeah, I had to really do some, some self-searching. And in that searching, really you know, looking introspectively, I had to say, oh, yeah, that probably wasn't the best me. So how do I bring the best me into this marriage? And I know the same thing happened with my husband. I mean, he had to say, okay, what did I do wrong in my first marriage? And, you know, yes, people can, can be one way towards you. They can, they can cause you to you know, not be your best self, but it's how you react to that. So for him, it was, I was too reactionary. I, I was quick to temper because I just couldn't take it, but I can control my temper, even though I can't control what's coming in. So we went into, you know, second marriage, just saying one, we're going to make this work. And two, what are we going to do in the, as individuals to make this marriage the best marriage? Because, you know, the blame game doesn't work. It never works. It doesn't work in any type of relationship whatsoever. And that's such sound advice. I think it's important to take stock, as you say, learn from the past and taking responsibility for the part you may have played, areas you could improve. I think for a lot of my listeners, they'll be thinking, yes, but I am too scared to trust anyone again. I don't want to get my heart broken again. You know, I've been through the marriage thing once and maybe I just I'm going to leave that alone. I'm not even going to date again. What would your advice be for that? Because obviously you had the courage to, to date again and, and meet someone new. Yeah, I think you just have to be weary. I mean, in today's age, you have to be careful. You don't want to you know, jump all in on these online dating things. If you can meet somebody who knows somebody, I do think that's the best route because then you kind of have a bit of a testimonial. Not that they would know everything about them, but at least you're not going into it blindly. And just really understanding that I need to take it slow. Don't jump in. That person may be on the rebound. You may be on the rebound. Protect your heart a little bit, but don't be so fearful that you pass up the, you know, the thing that's right in front of you. I have a, a very dear friend who uh, met this man and it was close after uh, the death of her first husband. And People were like, oh, you can't date him. You know, you can't be with him. It's, you know, you're just coming on the one year. And she did take it slowly, 
But, you know, I saw the two of them together and I was like, you know, I think, you know, you got to really not pay attention to all the rules people put out there. There's all these rules, right? Go ahead and date him. It doesn't mean you have to marry him right now, but you don't want to lose out on this, this person that might be God sent, you know, and you walked away from them and they're now married and they're happily married. And she's had some tragedies in her life and he's just been right there. And it really kind of goes back to that God sent, you know, who knew these things were going to happen and they did, but she had somebody right there to, to be by her side. And, and I just think they're a fabulous couple. I think that's such good advice, just being open to opportunities and, and again, not listening to what everybody else has to say, because, you know, sometimes they get it wrong, right? So I know a lot of my clients and people listening to my podcast have lost a bit of maybe sense of their selves, who they are, their their own identity, their their purpose. Maybe they've been married for a long time, or maybe they were in quite a toxic relationship where they used to putting everybody else first, whether that was their husband, the kids. And, you know, they've come out of the relationship thinking, gosh, I don't even know who I am anymore. Right. Um, I don't even know what I want anymore. What advice have you got for really tapping into what drives you and, and motivates you to get your life back on track? Yeah, I think you have to take care of you first. So you get out of this relationship and maybe that focus isn't on, oh, I need to meet somebody else. Maybe it's just on figuring out who you are. And one thing that, that I've seen, and I know at Executive Medicine of Texas, we see a lot of busy executives and individuals, and, and several of them have gone through bad marriages and had startovers. And, and you actually kind of reinvent yourself after that. So you have to kind of say, who am I? Who do I want to be? And, and take stock of that, take stock of the things that have happened in your past that make you who you are, but also take inventory of the things you can do that are going to, to bring you to your best you, that are going to lift you up. Maybe you want to learn something new. And ironically, sometimes when we learn something new, that's where we end up meeting somebody that it has an interest that you never would have dreamed. You know, maybe it's you're taking dance lessons or and you know, maybe it's you took a painting class or something, or you go on your first cruise or whatever that is. It's okay to allow yourself to live. And I think this is important, whether it's divorce or whether it's the death of a spouse. You really have to allow yourself to be an individual. A lot of times in marriages, people will say, oh, well, it was always the two of us. People knew us as, you know, Greg and Sally. Well, Greg's a person and Sally's a person. So the two of them need to figure out who they are without that person. And that takes time. Give yourself time to do that. Yeah, I think it can take time. I think it's about mindset, too, because you know, a lot of my clients will say, well, I just I'm not good at anything. You know, maybe their confidence coming out of a breakup, maybe they've been cheated on, which makes them think, gosh, you know, maybe I'm not attractive enough, or maybe I'm not intelligent enough, or maybe I'm not funny enough, or I'm not good enough in the kitchen, whatever it is, you know, they have those lingering doubts, which is totally, totally normal. You know, your self-worth, your self-esteem does take a big hit coming out of it, especially a difficult breakup or a toxic relationship. So if someone's struggling to find what they're good at or even something that they enjoy doing, I mean, I see this all the time. You know, how can they tap into 
I guess their passion, something that lights them up. How can we get people to that point? Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as The Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. Now, how can they tap into, I guess, their passion, something that lights them up? How can we get people to that point? Well, I think the first thing is to recognize that you're not the sum of your history. And this goes for like even second careers. And a lot of times when you have a breakup or you have a divorce and you start thinking, well, is this even the job I want? You really start looking at your life. You have to say, how did I get to where I am? You know, am I an engineer because, you know, grandpa was an engineer? Am I a nurse because we're, you know, four generations of nurses? And is that what I want to do? Or do I want to take that degree and do something a little different? Maybe I want to, you know, work with some kind of nonprofit and and travel with my degree or or whatever. So finding your passion really is about understanding your history knowing what you're good at and what you like to do and really thinking as you're doing each thing in your life, does this bring me joy? Or is this a J-O-B? Or is this just a relationship of convenience? And just pay attention to those things. And I don't mean overthink it. I think you can have, you know, paralysis by analysis too. It's really easy to do. You just start thinking and overthinking and overthinking. It's just about, you know, when I feel really good, I need to pay attention to why do I feel really good right now? And then how do I get more of that in my life? So passion and finding your passion, one is about discovering new things and new things about yourself, making new friends, because they'll lead you to some of those new things. And then also just, like I said, taking inventory of how you feel in different circumstances. So if you realize, gosh, whenever I'm, XYZ, I feel so much better, but how much time do I actually spend doing that? And you look at that and that's maybe, you know, an hour a month or two hours a month, then how do you move towards being able to do that, whatever it is, more often and do less of the things that are stressing you? I totally agree. And I like what you said that you're not the sum of your history. Because you know, especially you've been in, in a relationship that maybe changed you for a period of time. Maybe you weren't yourself. Maybe you, you know, couldn't speak your mind or maybe you just weren't very happy um, or maybe you felt rejected in that. I think, you know, you can think that the rest of your life is going to be moving forward with that. But as you said, you know, it's about 
about rediscovering who you are. But I loved what you said about also reinvention. Because I think that sounds, you know, that sounds like fun, right? You can be yeah. whoever you want to be. How do you go about that process? Well, I think part of that is, um, you know, read. I, I find that a lot of people get so wrapped up when, you know, they're married and they got the kids and they've got their job that the last time they picked up a book could be 10 years. And you just go and pay attention to, to the books that you like. Pick up a few books and that actually gives your body and your brain a break. You take all that chaos, all the spinning plates, and you put them down and you pick up a, a good book. Now, whether it's a self-help book, there's a lot of great self-help books, or whether it's just some fictional book or some romance book or something, it gives your brain just a time to relax, to say, I'm just going to put away all these stressors and I'm going to just let my brain work. And what I've found is I could be reading a book or you know, even in the shower, it's when I'm not thinking about things that I come up with these great ideas. So you have to allow yourself to not think about things. And as hard as that is, you have to force yourself some downtime. Now everybody takes a shower, so that's, you know, that's kind of a no-brainer. But when's the last time you took a bath? Or you know, when's the last time, like I said, you, you cracked a book or just went on a walk? A nice long walk without your phone, without your earbuds, without anything, and just think. And you'll be amazed at what comes into your brain and the ideas you have. They're going to be things that you're just going to realize, gosh, I haven't had a conversation with myself in a long time. And that's part of that reinvention. That's part of finding that passion. It's there, but still small voice is going to to whisper in your ear you just have to be there to hear it absolutely I took 11 days off this summer which is um which was a bit of a break from I didn't do any work usually when I'm on holiday I do work because I love what I do it's my passion and I love it so it doesn't really feel like work which is great great I guess that I enjoy it so much but what I found was well, what my PA was saying was, sorry, you're supposed to be not working because I was coming <laughs> up with all these ideas as I was lying on the sunbed going, oh, we could do this, we could do that. She's like, yes, Sarah, but you're supposed to be on holiday. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I've just thought of this. They all spot on, Judy. That's exactly what happens. You, you say you're going to switch off, and then suddenly your creativity starts kicking up because you're not juggling the day-to-day -day routine and the oh, yeah. pressures and the stresses, right? So it does clear some amazing space. And I know you mentioned reading there. Now, you've got a book out now. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, so I have seven books, but my sixth book is the one I think is, is worth mentioning uh, today because it's so apropos. Now, I was a third generation workaholic. You know, I wore my 50, 60 hours a week like a badge of honor. You know, I was like, oh, I work. I work all the time. You call me anytime you want to call me. I, you know, I'll pick up the phone. And, and I think I got so mixed up in that life that I had realized, gosh, my kids are growing really fast. I, you know, even though my husband and I work together, we work in the same field, all our conversations were starting to be about work. And I met Lucille Fleming, who was actually a hundred years old. And I met her because I was writing the book before that, which was age to perfection, how to thrive to 100, happy, healthy, and wise. And I wanted to interview these hundred year olds. And the day I met Lucille, immediately we just clicked. 
And we spent like at least once a week together. And towards the end, it was pretty much every day. And it was about four years. She died just shy, two weeks shy of her 104th birthday. But she really helped me gain perspective. If you want perspective, hang out with somebody who's 100 years old. They can give it to you really fast. But I really started realizing that there were people that I didn't even pay attention to. You know, go out to dinner. We'd have a dinner. I, I don't even know if I looked at the waiter or, you know, had any type of conversation. Pretty soon I'm going out to eat with this 100-year-old and she's like, looking these people in the eye and asking them questions. She's like, you know, everybody's got a story. And I'm just starting to really enjoy that and enjoy spending time with her more than I enjoyed going to the office, which, you know, that was my favorite place to be was the office. And I really got this incredible new uh, perspective on life. And in all the times that, that we stress, I know in, in all around the world, we're dealing with stressors, whether it's the pandemic or it's political turmoil in countries, et cetera. And she really helped put that in perspective for me. And that was, you know, before this, this was several years ago. So before the, the last two elections and there was something going on, I think in Russia. And I said something about, she said, you know, I can't tell you how many times that everyone thought the world was going to end. <laughs> so she, you know, share her times about the depression and she just say, people just really thought it was over or this is the worst present we've ever had or, you know, everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. And she say, mm, then everything would return to normal. Then they'd be good again. You just got to ride the waves. And it was interesting because some of the things she had experienced were way worse than anything that was going on. And even that has gone on since and she would describe it as, yeah, it happened, but we lived through it. And I think one thing that I learned really from hanging out with uh, Lucille Fleming is no matter what age you are, meaning what generation you're in right now, no matter what decade you grew up in, no matter your skin color or even the country you were born in, she was born in Canada and came to the U.S., the human experience is the same. We all have our first love. We all know what a heartbreak feels like. We all have had maybe the loss of a pet. We've all had disappointment, even disappointment in ourselves. That's part of the human experience. So we don't wanna rob ourselves of that human experience. We wanna embrace it and get through it because really, we feel so much better on the other side of it. An accomplishment comes out of adversity. So we don't wanna shy away from that. So, I, you know, there's so much in Love, Life and Lucille, the memoir that will make you laugh, it'll make you cry. It'll, you know, I, I've had people say, I was so mad, I wanted to throw the book, but I couldn't stop reading it. So I pick it back up. And then in the end, you know, just the, the joy that comes from from the, the most important lessons that I, that I learned. I mean, wisdom, you just can't put a price tag on wisdom. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you said some really powerful things there. I think perspective is really important. And I mean, Lucille sounds like she, she had some great advice because actually looking back or looking at other people in the world and what's going on can quite often put your own story, which will be all consuming, overwhelming in the moment, Maybe you are going through that tough breakup or heartbreak, as you said. But then you look around what other people are enduring in the world and just having that sense of perspective 
can make you realize actually, do you know what? I'm okay and I'm going to get through this. Uh, I think that's really powerful advice. I think that tool of using perspective can be really helpful in those really dark moments. But yeah, I mean, gosh, hanging out with someone who's over 100, it must have been such an incredible experience because it's not just who she is, it's who she's seen and watched and been around and so many life lessons to share. I mean, that must have been such an exciting and an yeah. interesting journey with her. Yeah. It, um, it was. And I think the one thing for your um, viewers and your listeners that's important to know is that we all need to find a purpose. And if we find a purpose, we're not just happier, but we're healthier. With Lucille, when I met her and, and I'd done the book Age to Perfection, I was going on a book tour. So I had to go to these television shows and I had to do these interviews. And, and I said, hey, you know, one of these shows wants you to come on. Are you willing to go on television? She was so excited. I, I talk about this in the book. And she just was like, what am I going to wear? I'm so happy. And she just was in her element. And at that time, I think she was 101. Um, and, and we did that from times 101 to 102. And she just had reinvented herself. We talk about reinvention, right? So here's this woman at 101, 102, and she reinvented herself as a longevity expert. And, and she would come in and she'd have these fancy outfits on and her sunglasses and she'd be like, this snob, she'd walk in into the, to the station, say the talent is here, you know? So <laughs> I just find it funny that, that if we just allow ourselves to get out there and do things we'd never done, she had never been on television. She had never been on the radio, but she found that she loved it. And she just embraced it. She's like, you know, someone may call me an old woman or think I'm washed up, but now I have a new purpose. So if someone over a hundred can find a new purpose, then I guarantee whoever is listening, whoever is watching right now, your purpose is out there and it's waiting for you to come alive. You just have to accept it and you have to acknowledge it and you have to just go at it with 110%. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. I mean, gosh, if Lucille could do it, then we have no excuse, right? Just get out there and That's do right. it. Such an inspiring story and a great part of your book as well. I loved what you said that about accomplishment can come through adversity because quite often people think, gosh, I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Life is so tough right now and focus on all the negative. So explain yes. a little bit more about what you mean about that accomplishment coming from adversity. You know, I've got a, an experience that I write about in the book where everything was kind of coming, you know, falling apart in my life. Um, I had a, a major, major blow up with one of my sisters. I was going through a divorce. I found myself in, in a chapel just completely falling apart. And I, I even you know, contemplated, you know, is this all life is? Is this it? And if I take that, that time when that happened, I, I go into greater detail in the book, but if I take that time when I felt so low, I felt like, what is happening? My life is falling apart. All the things I thought I was going to be able to do aren't going to happen. And I kind of fast forward, even just a few years from that moment, it, that adversity had to happen, all of it, for me to be who I am. In my first marriage, he did not want me to go back to school. I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to finish my undergraduate. And I have done that now in my second marriage. I've 
not just my undergrad, but a, a graduate degree. And I went and got a graduate certificate from Harvard. So, you know, I, I started building these lists of things I wanted to accomplish because all the chains were off. And I had somebody who really believed in me and just said, Judy, you can do anything you want to do, which was, by the way, terrifying, you know, to have someone believe in you and to say anything. What, what do you want to do? You can do anything. That, that is just a scary experience because you then realize I'm the one who's in charge of, of what I'm going to accomplish. I have nobody to blame if I don't do it but me. And I, I really believe that when we're in those darkest moments, when we're in that adversity, we, as Lucille would say, you know, you got to ride that wave, ride it out, and there will be the other side. But you have to be looking for it. You have to be able to accept it. And, and I dare say you have to even speak it. I'm getting through this. I'm going to make it. You know, affirmations are a great thing. They got me through some of the toughest times. I thought they were goofy. I thought they were stupid. Somebody told me to do them. I put them on my mirror. I stood in front of my mirror and I read them out. Now I remember, I remember one of them was as simple, like one of the first ones. They're like, just start simple. So I had this affirmation. It was like, you're a woman who makes her bed before she goes to work. And I'm like, this is stupid. I'd say this every day. I have made my bed every morning since because I just took these baby steps to who do I want to be, you know, and, and I would do these, these list of things, you know, I'm a woman who went back to school and I would tell myself that. And suddenly I found myself enrolled and, and taking these classes. And then my affirmation, you're a woman who's, who's going to graduate top of your class. And, and I'd tell myself this and I guess I was kind of talking myself into allowing myself to do these things because I really believe that we should say to ourselves, we can do anything we put our minds to. What do we want to do? Now, I say that with a caveat. I'm not even five foot. I could not be a basketball player. No matter how much I willed it to happen, <laughs> it's not going to happen. So you have to be realistic in that. And you have to look at you know things that you physically can do. But I, I got to tell you that that adversity I went through really just kind of molded me. You know, even diamonds need heat and pressure. You know, you take a piece of coal and it is never going to become a diamond unless it's put under heat and pressure. So like that, we shine after the heat and pressure. Well, I love that. We shine after the heat and pressure. So those of you listening, I mean, it's so true. I mean, I know that's true for myself. I went through a really tough divorce. And having come out the other side, I thought I, I want to turn that into something that's going to help other people. I don't want other people to have to feel that pain. Right. So by creating my programs and, you know, everything that I coach people through now, I now share that with with so many people around the world. But that comes from pain. That comes from adversity. Yep. That comes from being on the floor, sort of having the ugly tears and sobbing, thinking my life is over. How do I pull myself out of this? So I think you're right. I love that that comes from that that moment of adversity and I think you know like you know looking at what you're doing you know being so successful with being a writer of so many books and speaking on so many stages and I've watched a lot of your videos you know I think most successful coaches who are operating at that top world-class level you know they all have come from some tough time which can either I guess break you or make you and it's it's what you decide in those moments that defines who you go on to become right it's it's in those Absolutely. moments that, yeah the decisions it's fascinating to hear it from your point of view as well and going on and I think it's inspiring for my listeners to know that 
you know, just because one marriage is broken down or maybe a couple, it doesn't mean you can't go on to find right. happiness with someone else. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the other thing, and I, I do write about this in Love, Life and Lucille, is I was the child of, of divorce. So I was that child in that car that was driving away and moving 1200 miles away from dad. And I talk about what that felt like uh, as, a, as a child. And, and then some of those issues that I had with my parents, I'm both, I, I gotta admit, I was terrified when my parents read the book. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, they're, they're, they may hate me when they read this book. And it was interesting because they said, you know, you didn't say anything that wasn't true. And, and they were able then, I think, to accept their truth of, you know, what kind of went on during those years and, and how it affected everybody. I mean, I, there's one thing I say in the book, and I, it wasn't until I was actually writing the book that I really appreciated this when I had to go back into that memory of what it felt like. And I remembered when the car didn't smell like dad's cologne anymore. That was a, a heartbreaking moment for me as a child. You know, our lives had changed. We were doing, you know, drive through for dinner instead of, you know, family meals and everything about it had changed. And even though that was a, a heartbreak and that was really hard as a child, I still think that there were lessons to be learned in that. You know, uh, being a, a Generation Xer, we were all solving for X. You know, how do we get out of the situation? How do we, you know, figure out how to get home? Because maybe, you know, my single mom my, who, who's trying to, to put food on the table isn't here to pick me up from school. You know, all these things, even though they seemed so rough and so tough at the time, they, they mold us and they, they create us into who we are and strong and independent people. It took me a long time to recognize that as a gift rather than a curse. And I think that if we all look back at our lives and we look at some of those tough times and we think of those with new glasses, with the glasses of this adversity shaped me, this happened, but yet it had to happen because it allowed me to grow in a whole new way. I, that's really where the gold is. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. It's a gift, not a curse. And I think there's a lot of research actually that's come out recently that shows that children that suffer some adversity, I'm not talking you know, real poverty or extreme abuse, but some adversity, you know, do go on to have better coping strategies with those difficult situations as they get older. And, you know, in this day and age with the suicide rate going up for teenagers, you know, I think having those coping mechanisms and, you know, even, you know, as long as you can learn from, from it and grow, I think it can really help. Like you say, it's a gift, not a curse. I love that. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Judy. This has been fascinating. Do share, where can people find out more about you and connect with you? Sure, they can go to Judy Gammon, so it's J-U-D-Y-G-A-M-A-N, judygammon.com, and they can learn about where I'm speaking, they can see the different books, and they could definitely uh, catch a little bit about Lucille and, and Love, Life, and Lucille, that book. And it's been a pleasure to be on with you, and I'm, I'm so, so happy to share. I think that sharing and, and lifting each other up during difficult times is how we get through it. Absolutely true. I have one last question for you that I ask all my guests on my podcast. My podcast is, as you know, called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to know what happiness is for you so you can spot it even during those times of adversity that we've been talking about. 
So what is happiness for you, Judy? Well, for me, it's just enjoying each day and seeing the beauty in each day and having those calm moments at night. And for me, and it's different for everybody. You know, I read my scriptures. I write in a journal before I go to bed. That's my downtime, my routine. And I think for me, having a, a routine is good. You know, get up. I walk before I go to the job. And so when I get to work as the CEO of Executive Medicine of Texas, I've already centered myself. So I can find happiness in my day. And then I can, again, just have that evening routine where I kind of hunker down and, and let it all go again. And that really allows me to be able to get up the next day and do it all over again. And, and really, the, I find this the smaller things, you know, it's not all the things that happen during the day. It's the small moments in the morning and at night that bring the true happiness. Thank you for sharing that. Some great tools there for my listeners. I know this will have really helped so many people today. So thank you so much for being a fabulous guest. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. That's it for today's episode. Do head on over to judygammon.com to find out all about Judy and more about her latest book, Love, Life and Lucille. And I look forward to you joining me on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.